So good to see all of you here and online with us. Welcome here. So good to have our brothers here. Bill and I spent some time traveling to Quebec together with some other pastors. We were visiting, and, and like uh, that was exciting too, just seeing um, the brothers in Quebec are very similar to the brothers in Russia. I mean, they really sacrifice, and the sisters there for the Lord's work, and so that was, that was great. But uh, we're coming back to this idea of reset from the book of Haggai. This 2,500-year-old document, which accounts, gives us a picture of God's plan and how he was working on his plan through the nation of Israel, through his, you know, temple there, rebuilding the temple, a place of sacrifice. And, and as we've been thinking about that, how does that apply to us today? And we're talking about resetting different things in our life, your priorities, your perspective, your passion, and today is resetting your purpose. And... The, the key theme there is God's plan always prevails. Say that with me. God's plan always prevails. One more time, a little more gusto, okay? God's plan always prevails. Okay, whatever you take out of this morning, okay? That's the take home right there. You can write that in your Bible, on your notes, on your phone, whatever however you do that. Don't forget this truth today. Because Haggai is sent a message from God to his people at the time, and this is the idea, the big idea. God says to them, my plan will prevail. And so if you're doing God's plan, then you've got good news for you, right? Because if you're following his plan, you're on the right track, and you know that's going to end up and be completed and be done, and you're on the right place at the right time. So God's plan always prevails. As we come to God's word, would you pray with me and and uh, this is a moment just for you to, to tune your heart to God and, and just prepare yourself. If there's things you came in with that were burdening you this morning, I encourage you just to leave those at the feet of the Lord as we come to his word together. Spend a few moments in quiet prayer, and then I will open us in prayer. Lord, you're our king. We worship you this morning. We put aside these concerns, these burdens, these distractions in our lives. We lay them at your feet, knowing you will, you will handle them. You will help us to take care of them. And now we sit with open ears and open hearts and willing hands. Speak to us through your word and through this flawed and broken instrument, this preacher, Lord. Remove me and bring Christ to the center as we look at your text together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The final word in the book of Haggai is this little four, four verses at the end, 20 to 23. And he addresses specifically Zerubbabel, who is this appointed king, sort of not really a king, but he's the, he's the Jewish leader of this remnant that's returned to Jerusalem. They're living in a land that's been given back to them, and yet they're under the, the leadership of the Persians at that time. They have their land, they have the, the opportunity to rebuild their temple, but they don't really have the former glory of Israel that, that was there when Solomon and David ruled. Things were a little shaky in that period of world history. And in fact, if you look from 500 BC right until the Roman domination, there's, you know, there's significant things happening. You know, after this will come Alexander the Great, the great, great Greek Empire, then the Romans will take over. And so, and the Jews just become a very, and the Israelites, a very small, small player on the world scene. 
And in their hearts, they're probably wondering, well, what really matters? We're just these forgotten people in this tiny bit of real estate. We've got this temple. It's not nearly as nice as the old one, but it's, it's getting built. And, you know, they wonder, you know, what, what, it, does, it, does anything really matter? And maybe some of you feel that way. Like, does anything I do really make a difference beyond, you know, like, like can, I, can I really make a difference? I mean, Bill challenged us. You can make a difference, but sometimes we wonder, can I make a difference? And I think Zerubbabel felt this in his life as he came in back there and is trying to oversee this building project, trying to rally the people and trying to lead and provide governance. And he's wondering, is, can anything really matter? And the Lord speaks to him in verse 20. It says, the Lord spoke again to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I am ready to shake the sky and the earth. And when God shakes something, that the idea is... Uh, a, a, a violent disruption of the normal process of the created order, right? It's, it's this, God is intervening in human history to, to realign it with his plan. It's like, don't worry, Zerubbabel, I am about to shake things down. You can count on me. The truth is that God will remove every obstacle in his way. That's God's way. When God has a plan, which always prevails, when there are obstacles, he removes those obstacles. So that, that shakedown is literally like, let's shake it up, let's get it out of the way, and let's keep moving forward. No matter what that obstacle is, nothing, nothing stands in God's way of moving his program and his plan forward. The whole Bible is a testimony to this. And usually the people that are messing up God's plan are us, humans, flawed human beings with their own agendas trying to fight against God's agenda, and, and that's usually what God has to shake down and clear out of the way in order to, to move things forward. But he will remove every obstacle in his way. For Zerubbabel, this was a significant issue because his family history was such that his family line was cursed. His great-grandfather... Uh, our grandfather, I should say, had received a prophecy from Jeremiah saying that your family will never again rule as king in Judah ever again. We'll get to that in verse 23, but understand, he lived with this cloud of cursing over his head, like I will never amount to anything. My family will never count. I've been given this position, but it really doesn't matter because we've lost the blessing of God in our lives. And he carried that with him. And maybe you've got a past and you're wondering, I can't do anything. God can't use me because of my past. It's always gonna be there. It's dragging me down. It's pulling me down. And the word here in Haggai is a word for you too, just as it was for Zorobabel because he's gonna get there in a moment. But he's like, look, understand that I'm gonna remove every obstacle in my way, says the Lord. So if you're on God's plan, if you're serving his agenda and his purposes, understand as you encounter obstacles, he will remove them. If you're doing your own agenda, your own plan, your own little, you know, secret, you know, direction, I mean, I, I can't make this promise for you. But when you're riding on God's train, he removes those obstacles and the thing, key, and, the pro, and the plan progresses no matter what. God's plan always prevails. says in verse 22, I will overthrow royal thrones, shatter the might of earthly kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots 
and those who ride them, and horses and their riders will follow as people kill one another. I mean, it's, it's a gory scene, but he's like, understand? I will take care. I mean, you know, Zerubbabel's sitting there, like, have you seen the Persian army, God? And, and later on, Jews would say, have you seen the Greek army, God? And then later on, Jews would say, have you seen the Roman army, God? Later on, they'll say, have you seen the Soviet army? Have you seen the Chinese army? Have you seen the Iranian army? Have you God says, I will take care of everyone that stands in opposition to me and to my plan and to my people. The word overthrow is used when, when God sends those guys, those angels into Sodom and Gomorrah with a message of Lot and his wife, get out. And God overthrows Sodom and Gomorrah because they had this cavalier disregard for human life for the dignity of, of humanity. They didn't care about people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And as a result, God said, you have so shown such disregard for, for, the, for the dignity of life, I have to judge you. And this is what happened in Noah's day. People didn't care about human life. And so God says, I gotta, I gotta restart, I gotta reboot, I gotta reset the whole world because they have forgotten that my image dwells in every man, woman, and child. And as such, you need to treat each other with honor and respect and dignity because you, you carry the very image of God in you. But when we're on our own agenda, we don't care about God's image. We care about our image. And we do things to hurt and to harm. Now, we think sometimes, I'm going to overthrow, we think in Canadian terms, oh, yeah, let's get rid of these awful governments or these, you know, rules and these, right now, you know, we, we have our own context. But, but I just want to blow it up a little bit bigger for you today. i got a map here. This is from opendoors.org. This is formerly Voice of the Martyrs. The red indicates places of extreme danger for Christians. The orange are very dangerous. Um, you'll notice the, the country where Bill's son serves is orange and surrounded by red countries there in, in East Africa. You'll notice the Middle East, India. North Korea on the far right, the little red thing on the far right there is... Uh, one, the most dangerous country for a Christian to live. Uh, it says in, in North Korea, um, about 50 to 70,000 Christians are in prison right now. Horrendous conditions. Very little food and no judicial process to get out. They're sneaking in supplies from other countries. Christians are to help these. Open Doors is working with other Christians from surrounding nations to bring in aid to these North Korean Christians. And so understand, when our brothers and sisters read this text in these other countries, they're not thinking, oh, we've got this horrible government and i got to pay taxes and i got this. They're thinking the day will come when Christians can actually meet openly, when we can own a building and have a church, where, where we can preach out in, in, in freedom, where we, we can convert and not worry about our family coming and, and having honor killings. I mean, I mean, they're thinking a much bigger picture, and we need to realize there's, there's a global, Christianity is global, and there are all these Christians across the nations there that face danger every day for their faith. But the book of Haggai, in this verse 22, says, I'm going to overthrow all those things. I'm going to turn those tables over. I'm going to change the fortunes. You'll notice Russia is gray now. But back when I was a kid, that would have been an orange zone. Parts probably still are orange, but they just don't have the data right now to include in the open doors map. But as a kid, I prayed. I said, Lord, Lord, help. You mean Christians can't meet in, in Ukraine or in Russia? I mean, I prayed as a kid, and, and now they're meeting. And, and a thousand 
students at a seminary, over a thousand students. I mean, that's fantastic. As a kid, we never would have dreamed that was possible. God will overturn. His plan always prevails. Our small problems, although they weigh us down heavily, are minor in comparison to these. Brothers and sisters, more Christians died in Nigeria last year than any other country in the world. See that little red right in the left part of Africa there? Nigeria. Southern part, just militant Muslims. They're moving north. They're taking, you know, and they'll, they'll kick you out of your home. They'll burn down your church. They don't care. Women are getting raped in, in, in the Congo there. And, and by, you know, it's just horrible and, and awful. But God says, I will overthrow that. I will deal with that. And that's there in Haggai 2, verse 22. He gets to verse 23, and he says this. On that day, says the Lord who rules over all, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord who rules over all. And here's the promise. I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Now, again, in, in the book of Jeremiah, God says, None of the descendants of Jehoiakim, his grandfather, will ever sit on the throne again, but God reverses the curse here. He says, no, no, I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, and I'm going to place you in leadership. Now, the challenge is we don't actually ever see this happening, so, so we have to kind of wonder, but, but for Zerubbabel at this time, this was a word of affirmation to God to say, I'm not done with you, I'm not done with your family, you're still part of my plan, Zerubbabel. Why? Because he obeyed God, because he followed God, because he, he aligned himself with God's plan. He's there doing what he's supposed to be doing, rebuilding the temple, he's on God's agenda, God's plan, and God is using him, and he makes this promise, and he says that you're going to be my servant, and you're going to be my signet ring. It's interesting, in the book of Jeremiah, is like literally, he's like, I'm going to take the signet ring and throw it off your hand, he says to his grandfather. And now he says, I'm putting the ring back on your finger. The signet ring, I have a picture here. This is a modern version, but basically, uh, you know, when you would seal a document, you would drop a bit of, of wax on, the, on the, the, the overlapping paper, and you would take that ring, and you would chink, and you, and you would seal it, and that would be your, your symbol, your insignia, your initials, your crest, whatever it was, that, but that was your unique ring, and everyone could identify it. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, you know, Zerubbabel's ring, and, you know, or this is God's ring, and, and, and so... Sometimes a leader would say, you know, I don't want to make those decisions, so he'd, he'd give, take the ring off his neck, maybe it was on a chain, and he'd give it to his vice regent, who could then seal his documents. Maybe you've seen that in Robin Hood. They did that. They do that. They give him the ring, and he gets to seal documents. And, and, and he says, you are going to be my signet ring. You are going to function in my authority. You are going to be my authority here on earth. It's a great promise says the Lord. And you notice in three times in verse 23, he says, says the Lord, says the Lord, says the Lord. Who's speaking? He, throughout this time, five times he makes these promises. I will do this. I will do this. I am going to do this. I am going to do this. God is doing all of this. And Zerubbabel is simply moving along God's divine it's not all on you and me. God is doing the work in and through people like Zerubbabel, like Bill and Andrew, like me and like you. 
And he accomplishes his plan through messed up, weak, fractured people like you and me. It's amazing. Well, why does he do this? I, it, it's his plan. But he chooses to use people. I mean, God could have just snapped his fingers, you know, zapped from heaven, boom, and the, the temple would have been immediately built. But, but God says, no, I want you to go back. I want you to clean it up. I want you to build it stone by stone, beam by beam. I want you to rebuild this. And Because he, he, he invites us to participate with him in his plan. The real clincher is this. Three months and 23 days later, this, the book of Haggai is over and Haggai's ministry is done. He fades off into, into the background. Zerubbabel fades off in the background. And we don't see the, the Jews taking up power, becoming a great kingdom again. You're like, well, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? Until 500 years later. There's a guy named... Matthew recording the life of Jesus Christ, and as he records the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, twice he mentions the name Zerubbabel. Luke would also write an account of the life of Jesus Christ in chapter 3, verse 27. As he records from a different angle the, the genealogy of Jesus, he, he includes the name Zerubbabel. then we start to see, oh, there's a bigger plan than just the historical Zerubbabel. That there's a, there is a one coming in the line of David through Zerubbabel, but now through Joseph and Mary, and he is born Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and so Christ fulfills this promise. He is God's kingly authority on earth. And he brings the authority of God's royal signet ring as he lives and, and, and performs miracles and preaches and teaches and ultimately dies on the cross and rises again. God's reset agenda finds its fulfillment in Christ. And so we find our reset agenda in Jesus Christ as well. So I wanted to bring kind of three lessons out of the book of Haggai just for you to kind of take home with you and think about and meditate on as, as you think about this little book, obscure book, maybe you've never heard it preached before. It's the first time I've ever preached it. And I, and I thought there's lots of subset lessons I could get. But I'm like, let, let me give you the three biggies that I, I thought we, you could kind of carry home and think about. And the first one is this. Uh, God's plan is accomplished through those who prioritize his agenda and serve him in his strength. God works his plan out through ordinary people, but it's those who prioritize his agenda and serve in his strength. And just in case you're kind of wondering, well, you know, how do you get that? Out? So I'm going to bring some New Testament, just kind of cross-references so you understand. How does this reinforce in the New Testament? And he says, Jesus says, but above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. He's talking about don't worry about your food, clothing, blah, blah, blah. He's like, just pursue his kingdom, his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. You can claim that promise. As today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is your promise. That if I pursue his kingdom and righteousness, he will look after me. And that was what God was speaking to the people of Haggai's time. It's God's message throughout the scriptures. Put me first, and I'll look after you. I'll carry you through. It doesn't mean the absence of problems and trials. It just means he'll promise to look after you through them. It also says in Colossians chapter 1, we proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people 
with all wisdom so we may present every person mature in Christ. Toward this goal, I also labor, struggling according to his power, power that powerfully works in me. He's like, my goal is that everyone would be perfect in Christ. Now, we've got a lot of work to do, don't we, folks? <laughs> but this is what drives the Apostle Paul. He's like, this is, I, I'm working towards this goal with God's power working in and through me. So you're like, what are we doing? Haggai was building a temple. That's easy. A lot of you guys would love that kind of a task, right? You're, you're hands-on people, girls, guys and girls, you, you like to, you know, but, but it's like, how does this work? How do you build people? That's the hard work of the church, building people towards maturity in Christ. So as long as there's one or two people, and I know there's more than that, in the business where you work or in the school where you attend or in the office where you have your desk that are not perfect in Christ, you've got work to do. As long as there's men and women and children and youth around you in this church that haven't quite reached maturity, you've got work to do. And by proclaiming him, teaching and admonishing people with all wisdom, we strive to help present everyone mature in Christ. That's what's going on downstairs right now. Your kids are learning God's word to learn how to be followers, obedient followers of Jesus Christ. And that begins to transform families. It changes your marriage. It changes the type of employee you are at work. And as you change, the people around you will begin to change because they'll see the change in your life and you will introduce them to Jesus and they will change and then they'll introduce other people to Jesus and then they will change. And, and slowly but surely, it has this growing effect, which is what Bill was referring to is going on right now in Russia. As men and women preach Christ, lives are being changed and whole communities are being transformed. It starts with you. So as long as you've got a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, there's work to do. You know, as long, you know, you think about it, just the, the, the difference that maturity in Christ can make in your office, in the staff room where you, where you lit, you know, congregate, and then you're in the locker room, or your hockey team, or your basketball team. Just imagine what, if everyone was mature in Christ, what the language would be like in that room. Imagine how they would speak about their children and their spouses. Imagine if, if we were mature in Christ, how we would help each other and serve one another's interests, and be actually alert to the needs around us. We, we, we would see every stranger that comes in the church and befriend them and love them and, and feed them. I mean, just imagine what maturity in Christ would do in our homes and in our community if we all achieved this. So we, this is where we're moving towards. God's work is accomplished, or his plan, through those who prioritize his agenda and serve him in his strength. His agenda is that we would just be mature followers of Jesus, reflecting Jesus in every area. And that's a lifelong pursuit that we're all working on. But just imagine, that's, that's what I'm pushing for here as your pastor, saying, I'm trying to become more like Jesus. I'm encouraging you to move up and out a new life in Jesus. And that's us putting our heart and our soul and our prayers towards helping ourselves grow, others grow, and reaching those that don't know Jesus. Secondly, God's perspective helps us to press on and complete his plan. In Colossians 1, verse 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, it says in verse 2, uh, not things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory 
with him. Sorry, wait, is there more verses there? That's it. All right, sorry, that's verses four. But verse one, keep seeking the things above. Got to look over circumstances and see the big picture. Warren Wiersbe says, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. The outlook is bleak, try the uplook, okay? We're trying to do this the whole season of this last 18 months in our country and in our community. Don't get caught up looking at the news and the latest MSN feed or whatever else that you have on your phone. In fact, maybe even stop that and begin to listen to, to this feed. Get onto God's Wi-Fi signal and hear what he's saying. God's perspective helps us to press on and finish what he's called us to do. And it's those battles in the mind, people. Brothers and sisters, this is where it happens. It, 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 if we lose it in the mind, it affects our behavior, it affects our emotions, it drags us down. We begin to see clouds everywhere and you know, dark horses coming over the hills at us from every angle, and, and it just drags us down. And when we get above and look at Jesus, it brings us above that. It says in Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Does it keep going or is that it? That's it, okay. Think about these things. I mean, what have you been thinking about this last week? Thinking about how much money you don't have? Thinking about how you don't get to do the things you want to do? Thinking about, you know, your neighbor and the fact that they're not wearing masks or, they're, you know, they have too many people in their home or, or are they poked or not? I mean, what are you thinking about? Philippians 4.8 says, think about these things. Reprogram your mind. Reset it. Reboot it. Get it back on the things that God wants us to be thinking about. He says in verse 9, and whatever you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. So, so Paul's like, look, you've seen it in my life. I've retrained my mind. I'm doing it. Now just follow my example, he says to the people. Live it out. That attitude affects behavior and actions. And we can finish what he's called us to do because we have, have set our minds on his plan and his perspective. God's plan always prevails. Number three, God keeps his promises. We can count on him. Hebrews 10, 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we confess. For the one who made the promise is trustworthy. You can count on God. Take it to the bank. He doesn't write bad checks. When God says it, it's done. He is not like some of the governments that we've grown up under where promises are made, promises are broken, promises are adjusted, promises are changed. God never does that. When he says it, boom, it's done. You can count on him to fulfill what he says he will do. Verse 24 it says, and let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works. In verse 25, not abandoning our own meetings as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other even more because you see the day drawing near. Haggai says, on that day, says the Lord who rules over all, I will take you, Zerubbabel, on that day. So here we are, back to the day. The day when God intervenes into our human history to accomplish his divinely preordained plan. 
on that day. And then, until we wait for that day, he said, what are you supposed to do? Keep meeting together, keep encouraging each other, keep gathering together, keep serving each other with love and good works, keep, keep it on, keep on pursuing his plan. Get on to God's reset agenda. Team's gonna lead us in a song here in a moment, but I hope these lessons stick with you somewhere. One of those points is gonna hit you, hopefully, this week. God wants to work in and through your life. And this man's a rubber ball. I'd given up. I hope. I think that he could actually accomplish anything. God says, through you, Zerubbabel, and through your descendants, and ultimately through Christ, God's plan always prevails. So be encouraged this week. Don't be discouraged. Put your hope in God. Trust in him alone. Let's pray as we prepare to sing this closing song. Lord, I pray for your encouragement for your people here and those watching online. Your plan always prevails. So bring us into your plan. Show us how we can be a part of your plan in, in little and big ways, oh Lord, here in our own city, in our region, in our country, and across this world. Use us, we pray, this week and this coming year that you might receive all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Remember the prayer cards for next week to fill those out, and you can put it in the box back there. Bill and Andrew are going to be back in the foyer there. Stick around, have coffee, visit with each other, visit with Bill, visit with us. I just want to encourage you to go get your kids, but uh, just make, make this a, a meaningful time as you fellowship together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, God